the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world will tell you, you need to focus on your marriage, focus on your partner. But God says, I've got a different idea in store if you want a really successful marriage. We'll talk about that next, here on Abounding Grace. It makes sense and sounds really good, doesn't it? If you want a successful marriage, you have to really sacrifice yourself and focus on your partner. Be selfless. Think of your partner more than yourself. And and again, that is a good and right and proper way. But there is a higher calling. You see, the more we search after God, the better our marriages will be. And here in Psalms... 63 and 42, our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, will show this to us in great detail. Join us. Our series, What is a Godly Marriage, continues today with Pastor Gary Wagner. I'm going to finish my series on marriage today with an idea that I've actually mentioned a couple of times through the series, and that is that you cannot have the kind of marriage that I've laid out to you from God's holy word unless you first love the God of that word and fully trust in him. So today I'm going to talk about the kind of heart we need to have a marriage, uh, to have the marriage a Christian can have and should have, and a heart that pants after God. Christianity is not only a religion of holy thoughts and holy behavior, It is also a religion of holy emotions. Now, such a statement could be easily misunderstood in this age in which we live. Most people today, both inside and outside the church, are completely governed by their feelings and emotions. And rational thought has been thrown out the window like an unwanted baby with its dirty bathwater. God made man in his own image, governed by a logical thought process that controls his volition and which his emotions are subject to. But when Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator in the Garden of Eden, their fall, as, it has become, as it has come to be called, turned their constitution upside down. And now man is governed by his emotions, which drives our volition, often against our best intentions. And what's left of the logical thought process is subject to the corruption of the other two. Because our emotions are so unstable and can so easily toss one way and then the other in an instant, from moment to moment, They cannot be trusted to guide our daily thoughts, decisions, and actions. Nevertheless, emotions do play an important role in true religion once God 
regenerates our hearts. And He fills the void that has been vacant within us since our original parents committed their cosmic treason against their Maker. Oh, how empty and tasteless would be the stuff of life without the whole range of human emotions. King David was not afraid of his emotions, nor was he afraid to express his emotions in his worship and service of God. Jonathan Edwards spoke of David's psalms as holy songs that were the outpouring of devout and holy emotions. A man named Needham, who paraphrased and simplified Jonathan Edwards' great 18th century work that was entitled Religious Affections, said this, In the Psalms we see a humble and fervent love for God, admiration for His glorious perfections and wonderful works, desires and thirstings of the soul toward Him. We see delight and happiness in God, a sweet and melting gratitude for His great goodness and a holy rejoicing in His favor, sufficiency, and faithfulness. We see love for and delight in God's people, great delight in God's word and ordinances, sorrow for David's own sin and the sins of others, and fervent zeal for God, and fervent zeal against God's enemies. Unquote. David's highly developed emotional life as a Christian can be clearly seen in the two Psalms that we read just a few moments ago, Psalm 42 and Psalm 63. They both have the same historical context, David's exile. David was not able to return to Jerusalem. He had killed Goliath and he had become a hero and God had commanded the prophet Samuel to anoint David, king of Israel, in place of Saul, who was a bitter disappointment to God and who proved to be a rebel, a rebel against God. And after David killed Goliath, he was such a hero to the people that they would sing songs like, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul heard the rejoicing over their newfound hero and immediately feared that he would be displaced by David merely on the basis of this one incident. And this tells us something about how insecure Saul's self-willed belligerence must have made him. He grew very jealous and afraid of David. And so Saul began to persecute David and attempted to kill him several times. David was forced then to take flee for his life away from Jerusalem. For an extended period of time, David had to hide in the crevices and the caves of the mountains outside Jerusalem for his safety's sake. And it was in that situation that David wrote several of his psalms, in particular the psalms we read today. What I would like for you to see first in both of these psalms is the way they begin. David describes himself as like a panting deer. He says, my heart, my soul, at the deepest level of my being, I crave. I long for hunger, thirst, pant for the living God. Notice we don't read anything about David's panting for the throne that was rightly his, but on which he could not sit. 
We don't hear David yearning for his family and his home. He didn't seem to be seeking for the wealth and the power that belonged to him. We don't read anything about David thirsting for anything in creation at all. Instead, he says that as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. And in Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The great Dutchman of the late 19th century and early 20th century, Abraham Kuyper, said that David was consumed with homesickness for God. He writes, so says David, my soul pants, yea, thirst after the living God. Not after a creed about God, nor an idea of God, nor a mere remembrance of God, nor a divine majesty that far removed from the soul stands over against it, nor a bumper sticker God who can be neatly described in a few trite words or phrases. But my soul thirsts for God Himself. I thirst after God in His holy outpouring of strength and grace. I thirst after the God who is alive and who in this life makes advances towards me with His Spirit who penetrates me. And in holy exhibition of His love reveals Himself to me as the living God. You see, says Kuiper, it's not your idea. It's not your understanding. It's not your thinking. It's not your reasoning. It's not even your profession of faith that can quench this thirst. The homesickness goes out after God Himself until in your soul's transport of love you feel the warmth of God's Father heart in your own heart. It's not the name of God, but God Himself who your soul desires and cannot do without. God Himself and the outshining of His life. This outshining of His life must penetrate you and must be articulated in the blood of your soul. Unquote. The one thing that David craved above everything else in this world was the living God. To know Him better, to love Him more, to enjoy fellowship with Him, to be made like Him, to be reassured of His love for Him. Is that you, beloved? And of course, whenever our hearts and our souls yearn and thirst and pant for God, we as Christians know they are yearning and thirsting for Jesus Christ Himself, who is the God-man. Yahweh incarnate, the expression of the infinite maker of all things within the sphere of humanity. Speaking of him to the Samaritan woman, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but that water I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And on another occasion, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He also said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. 
Now, brothers and sisters, this is not just the experience of super spiritual Christians. This is not the secret prize that is coveted by the extraordinary elite group of saints who has spoken in tongues and who have sought the second blessing or the deeper life. Every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ shares David's experience. He has a hunger. He has a thirst. He has a panting heart that is only satisfied by God, manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you have such a panting heart? It is possible to be a member of the church and not have it. You can think of yourself as a sincere Christian and not have it. But all true believers, to some greater or lesser degree, have the same experience as the deer pants after the mountain brook. Our hearts pant for God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We long to love Him more sincerely, deeply, and intensely. To fellowship and commune with Him more intimately. To be like Him in our own character and in our own behavior. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo in the late 4th and 5th centuries said once in a prayer, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So I ask you, members of Reformed Heritage Church and those who may be guests with us here today, is the religion you profess one of the heart and the emotions, as well as the intellect? Or is it purely an icy, cold intellectualism? Or a painless, convenient thing? Or maybe even just a good luck charm, just in case you might need one? Have you ever personally experienced the panting of your heart for the living God like David describes it, If you are a real Christian, one who has been truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit and spiritually regenerated by Him, you surely know what I'm talking about. If you're not a real Christian, you will undoubtedly not be able to relate. Because David is not merely describing the simple nagging of a guilty conscience that condemns us when we sin. And constantly reminds us that we do not measure up to God's standards. For that is nothing more than the remnants of the law of God that we were subjects to before we committed cosmic treason against our Maker. Notice the intensity of David's thirst for God. All of these powerful verbs. As the deer pants, my heart pants. My soul thirsts for the living God. In Psalm 63, O God, Thou art my God, early or earnestly will I seek Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Verse 8, My soul followeth hard after Thee. These are the words that explain the experience of the true believer of God in Christ. He thirsts for Him. He hungers for Him. And He pants for him. 
He follows hard after him. His flesh yearns for him. In fact, our craving for Christ is so intense that we must express it. Can't you see here the deep emotions that are feeling, filling David's soul? Thanks be to God that David didn't close up his heart to those things. Instead, he wrote about them. He couldn't hold back, beloved. He had to express them as the great songwriter that he was. His emotions were so intense that he couldn't keep them bottled up inside. He had to express them to God and to others. My soul yearns for my God. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said. The panting of a thirsty deer is something terrible to see. It appears to thirst all over. Every pore of its body is thirsting. It's not only its swollen tongue, its snorting nostrils, its glaring eyes, but the creature in every part, in every hair, thirst and pants. Unquote. On one hand, a thirsting soul can be a painful thing to observe. However, from a different perspective, it is a glorious occurrence to behold. For it is the very evidence of God at work in and amongst us. Like the wind of John in chapter 3, verse 8, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God moves us. And our panting for God is like the rustling of leaves that have just been stirred by a gentle breeze. This thirst, this craving that the Christian heart has for the living God can oftentimes be unpleasant. It is usually full of anguish and pain and it does not rest until it is satisfied in the presence of God. That's the way true love is. Marital love has a hunger and a thirst to it. It has a craving. It has a a panting to it. The woman that a man loves and to whom he is married, he hungers for her love and attention, her emotional support. He, He craves it. She is the one he desires above anyone else. Turn, if you will, to the Song of Solomon. And here we'll see that this hungering and thirsting can be A painful thing. And I'm just going to read a couple of selected portions of the book. We'll begin with uh, chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. The Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The bride is here speaking of her husband, and she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee. Draw me after you, and let us run together. The king hath brought me into his chamber. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. You see here the hunger of the bride for her groom, uh, the church for Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The groom is away, and the bride is missing him. And she says, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I, I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. 
The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him who my soul loveth? It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. You can feel something of the homesickness of this bride for her groom when he's not there. This is the hunger and thirst of love. This is the experience that every true believer has with God in Christ He or she hungers for him. He thirsts for him. She pants for him as a deer pants for water when it is in a parched and dirty and and empty land. But more specifically, David thirsts for the living God in the ordinances of public worship at the tabernacle. He did not just generally say that his heart thirsted for God, although I'm sure it did. I want you to notice that he says this in the context of public worship. Because he was being excluded here from public worship at the tabernacle. And his heart was homesick for the one whom he would meet at that tabernacle. Notice in verse 42, David says in verse 1, And the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the holy day. Look at Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. (coughs) O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, David is saying, I long, I crave, I hunger and thirst for God in his sanctuary in congregational worship. I've been in exile. I've not been allowed to participate in the congregational worship of God. And oh, how I long for those days. I long to be back in the house of God meeting with His people. Because it is in that context that my thirst is satisfied. And this hunger and craving is satisfied. In context of public worship in the sanctuary. J.A. Alexander had this to say in his commentary on Psalms. He said, debarred from public worship, David was heartsick. The enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. Not merely the sweetest of all luxuries, but the absolute necessity. He must have God or die of thirst. His soul, his very self, his deepest life was thirsty for a sense of the divine presence. Give him his God. And he is as content as the poor deer which at length fills its thirst and is perfectly happy. But deny him his Lord and his heart heaves, his bosom palpitates, his whole frame is convulsed like one who gasps for breath or pants after 
long running. Everything in him longed to meet God again at the church, unquote. And if he met God, he was as happy as a little deer. But if he couldn't meet God at church, nothing in the world could make him happy. David pined, said Spurgeon, to to enjoy again the means of grace. He longed to go up to the tabernacle once again. He desired to see the old priest slaughtering the animals and offering the sacrifices on the altars, hearing the intercessions, hearing the prayers, hearing the songs. He longed himself to go to the altar of God. But notice, he doesn't dwell on these outward things as important as they were. He doesn't dwell on the altar there in the courtyard. He doesn't dwell on the sacrificial rituals of the priest. He passes through all of these things as splendorous as they were as the priest passing through the outer court into the Holy of Holies. He penetrates through the shell of all these ordinances because he wants the colonel. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.